beautiful song of reminding us that we have a shepherd who leads us and will never forsake us. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you so much, Father, for your guiding hand. We thank you, Father, for sending your Son to be our shepherd. And we know that we who have trusted in him by faith are his sheep. So, Father, help us to keep our eyes on our shepherd and know that he is there. Thank you for your presence with us as we walk through the valleys of this life. And one day we shall be face to face with our dear shepherd and with you. Now, Father, I pray that you would encourage our hearts through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a beautiful song to prepare our hearts. If we'll turn to Colossians, the book of Colossians, and we are beginning chapter 3 this morning. Colossians chapter 3, and we are going to find that the Apostle Paul, here, as he begins this chapter, he basically is going to lay down a whole foundation of how we then, as believers, should live. And uh, this chapter is extremely practical in our daily life as we look in it together. So let's look at verse 1, Colossians 3, verse 1. Paul writes, If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Here the Apostle Paul begins this statement with, If then you have been raised up. Now when we see that word, if, basically in the the, uh, grammatical sense, in understanding the Greek terminology here, that word in our English, could also be translated uh, using the word since or because of. In other words, it's, it's past tense. It's already happened. So he's basically saying, uh, because you have been raised up with Christ or since you have been raised up with Christ. That's important to understand what he's trying to say here. So he's starting this foundation. And he's basically saying to the church, he's saying, I want you to know where you are right now. Where Jesus Christ took you from your sin and placed you into a a spiritual realm that you would never have known without Christ. And notice what, what he says here. If you have been raised with Christ, if you have been raised with Christ. If you go back to uh, chapter 2 here, just flip back and look at verse 20. Colossians 2, verse 20. Remember, Paul wrote this. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world... Do you subject yourself to decrees? And again, he's talking about the false teachers that were laying down rules and regulations. But notice he says there, 
if you have died. He uses that word if. We use that again. It's translated if, but again, you could put in the word since or because. So you and I have died with Christ spiritually when we put our faith and trust in him who died on that cross for us. I know that when Jesus uh, died and I put my faith in him, the evil Larry, the old nature, has died with Christ. He died for my sins, and therefore I died with him. And spiritually speaking, I was buried with him. And then spiritually speaking, I was risen from the dead with him. And we are going to see that ultimately physically happen to us where we will have the physical resurrection but we want to understand where what paul is trying to say here he's talking about our identification with christ you are a child of god you are in christ something happened to you dear believer that transformed you and so paul is trying to remind the church that they have been raised from the dead spiritually. That is why we don't need to be afraid of the future. We don't need to be afraid of suffering. We don't need to be afraid of dying as we walk through that valley of the shadow of death. Because as we beautifully heard, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil. How many of you came with a fearful heart this morning? Some, some of us wake up and we have that fear every day because of what we're going through, because of what we know the day's going to bring. Or maybe we don't know what it's going to bring, but we know that we are in a situation that the enemy, Satan, wants to create fear in us. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, is trying to make it clear, I want you to understand You've been raised with Christ. Now go back to chapter 3 then, if you would with me. We've been raised with Christ. So because we've been raised with Christ, there's something that should be produced because of that. And what? look at the rest of verse 1. He then says, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, if you have a King James Version, it, it just uses the word seek. If you seek, the, what we are to do is seek the things above. But this is actually, the again, in the Greek, this word is talking about a continuous action. In other words, I have, Paul saying, what I need to do because I, who, of who I am, that I've been raised with Christ and I belong to him. Now it is my responsibility to do something because I have the power of Christ living within me. I must seek the things above. Seek, seek the things above and that is where Christ is. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Let's go to Hebrews 12 together. This familiar passage, 1 and 2 again. But again, it ties in so beautifully with what 
Paul is now trying to say. Hebrews 12, verse 1. The writer puts it this way. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and he mentions those witnesses back in chapter 11, let us also lay aside every encumbrance or weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here is the seeking things above. Verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here the, the writer in Hebrews is making it clear that as we run this earthly race, I've got to keep my eyes as, as his child fixed on my Lord and Savior, the one who ran the race before me, and I need to keep my eyes fixed on him. And basically, how do I do that? It's when I choose to think of things above not on things of earth. I am choosing, and it is a choice, dear Christian. I have to choose what I want to think about today and what I am going to choose to pursue in my life and choose what are my priorities in my life. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6 together because... I want us to look at what our Lord Jesus said, Matthew 6, verse 19, as Jesus was speaking there, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus also is now going to lay out the truth that of what we need to do if, as we journey through this life. Verse 19, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy or corrupt, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is here again bringing to our attention the, um, the most important thing we can do is we have to uh, do a self-inventory and look at myself and say, where, what are my motives and where does my treasure lie? What treasures am I seeking? And the world says, oh man, we've got treasures down here. Satan would love to throw out there and he just wants to keep us in a worldly mind. You know, from, we came out of the world. We're no longer in the world spiritually. We're in the world here, but we're not of the world. In other words, the way they, they think or we shouldn't be. 
but how easy it is for you and I to get wrapped up and pulled up into uh, the culture of today and material things are so, are the, so, so important, the newer the better, and then we're always comparing ourselves with someone else. Jesus is saying, there's a treasure that you must seek, but you know where it is? It's with me. It's heavenly treasure. It's heavenly treasure. And so how do we seek this heavenly treasure that Jesus is talking about? By the way, I, I do want to turn to this passage, an Old Testament passage. If you'll turn to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So if you're looking for Ecclesiastes, if you can find Proverbs, okay, it's Psalms, Proverbs, and then right after Proverbs is Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 2 here, but of course this here is the, uh, the letter written by Solomon. And we all know the story of Solomon. Great man. God chose him. Son of David. He was going to reign. And remember that God said, Solomon, you have a heart after me. What do you want? In other words, it's almost like I'll give you whatever you choose. You know, it's like the old fairy tale. I'll give you three wishes, you know. But God is giving him one to choose from. And what does he choose? Of course, he chose wisdom. And then God added to his wisdom. He says, because you, you asked for the, the best thing, I'm also going to give you fame, wealth. I'm going to make you great uh, in the world and the, one of the wisest men. But as you read Solomon's life, and you should take a time to do your own study on Solomon's life. Because it is a sad story. He started up here. His heart was right before the Lord. His, he was keeping his eyes fixed on the Lord. But then suddenly, the world seeped in. And suddenly, the pride in the heart began to grow suddenly he began to covet and lust after things and we read according to the scriptures that he had a love for foreign women and so he was constantly bringing more and more women to be his concubines and wives and you recall that they were used by satan to cause Solomon to drift away. Because these new foreign wives would come in and they were allowed to bring their foreign idols and gods and their religion with them. And so Solomon would end up worshiping with them. He would allow them to build their own temple, their own worship uh, altar, and then he would worship with these wives. And it led his heart astray. And on top of that, then, he just was going after everything in this world. And he was building up his treasure. You know, he was so proud of his treasure, he wanted to show it off to the Queen of Sheba. But here we see in Ecclesiastes, near the end of his life, look what he writes. The man who had everything. Verse 1. I said to myself, come now. 
I will test you with pleasure. Notice he's saying, I said to myself. He doesn't say, I, I said to God. Here suddenly shows his heart. His heart is far from the Lord. I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. Doesn't that sound like the world today? Come on. You know, let, let's party. Enjoy yourself. Do what, what you, makes you feel good. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness and a pleasure. What does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my, mind, my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works. And maybe you can put yourself in his shoes right now. Then it's so easy for us to, to have our eyes and our heart focused on the treasures of this earth and making bigger and better, whether it's the bank account, whether it's property, whether it's material things. He says in verse 4, I enlarge my works. I build houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. Here again, he's, he's doing everything he can to try and please his inner self, please his soul. And he thinks, well, if, if I please uh, my, the passions and the fleshly desires, I'm going to be happy. Verse 5, I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted in them all. All kinds of fruit trees I made ponds of water for myself, from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who, were, who preceded me in Jerusalem. He goes on. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold, and the treasure of kings and provinces, I provided for myself male and female singers. Look at that. He has his own choir. He thought that was going to make him happy. And the pleasures of men, many concubines. They're the women. Then I became great, increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me, the wisdom God gave him. And all that my eyes desired, look at this, I did not refuse them. Does that sound like anybody today? Does that sound like our world today? Anything my eyes see, I want, and I'm not going to refuse my heart of these pleasures. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Verse 11, thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. He's looking back on his life now. And here's his great news. That what, what he's, uh, he's come to. And behold, all was vanity. Or you could put the word in, in there, futility. 
All was vanity or futility and striving after wind. And there was no profit under the sun. Here, Solomon had it all. And we've got, we've got those in the world, we see that that's, that's all they do, is they are seeking the things of this world and the pleasures of this world. And sadly, we as Christians can easily be caught up in that, that wave uh, where, where our priorities are wrong and suddenly we are going after earthly treasures and not heavenly ones. And suddenly we find ourselves unhappy. We find ourselves lacking joy. Our fellowship is broken with the Lord because I have not kept the Lord as my focus. Christ as my, my, uh, my author and finisher of my faith. And so seeing Solomon here, if you'll turn back with me to Colossians chapter 2, we see that this is the reason why Paul said in verse 2, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Paul makes it clear. First, he says in verse 1, seek the things above. But now he says, we are to set our minds here. If you have a King James Version, you have the word affections. Set your affections on things above, not on things of earth. Notice that word set or fix your mind. It, it, it means to choose to do something. This is, this is an act of the will. You and I have been given a will and we get to choose what we are going to do with our life. And what is going to be the most important thing. And I can go through this life as a Christian. And I can stay on the earthly plane. And I can just be thinking like the world thinks. I even start talking like the world talks. And, and that old nature, I've still got that old nature that still works inside me and battles with my new nature, the new creation in me. And so they're at war together. And so I've got to make a choice every day. Lord, am I going to think on things above? Set my mind on things above, not on things of earth. And Paul is trying to make this clear. He's trying to uh, let the Colossians know that the only way they are going to have victory in their life over sin, the only way they're going to have the peace of God, the only way they're going to have the joy of the Lord is if they begin to set their mind, seeking things above and setting their mind on those things. Those things above. It's a choice. It's a choice. So the question is then, how do I do it? How, what, what is it? So if he's saying, set your mind and heart on things above, not on things of earth, how do I do that? How do I build up treasures in, in heaven? Well, I think we can find an answer in Psalm 119. So if you'll turn with me to Psalm 119, it is believed by many good scholars that Psalm 119 was written by David, though his name is not attached to it. 
But Psalm 119, we'll pick it up at verse 25. This is that long psalm. But just picture David writing this. And we know David, he had a heart after God. He was a man after God's own heart. But look what the psalmist writes here in verse 25. My soul cleaves to the dust. In other words, he's having troubles. He's going through affliction. And you today, dear Christian, you may have come this morning with a great burden on your heart, great burden on your mind, and it is weighing you down. And you just feel like you almost can't get up and keep on going. And you feel like quitting, maybe. You feel like throwing in the towel. Well, that's where the psalmist was. And what does he ask of God? He says, revive me according to thy word. I have told of my ways, and thou hast answered me. Teach me thy statutes. Make me understand the way of thy precepts. So I will, what? Meditate on thy wonders. You see where this is going? The psalmist is talking about his mind. Where is his mind going even in the darkest day of his life? He says, I will meditate as God gives me understanding of his word. I will meditate on his wonders. Verse 28, my soul weeps because of grief. Maybe you're there today. Strengthen me according to thy word. Remove the false way from me. There's that earthly mindset that he's thinking of, a false way. Going down the wrong paths, the worldly paths, the things that the world says, this is, will make you happy. This will keep you happy. But he says, remove the false way from me. Graciously grant me thy law. I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed thine ordinances before me. Key word, verse 30. Chosen. You see that? He says, I have chosen the faithful way. And so what does that faithful way includes? Here, the psalmist begins to talk about setting his mind on things above, not on things of earth. I cleave to thy testimonies. O Lord, do not put me to shame. I shall run the way of thy commandments. For thou wilt enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes. And I shall observe it to when? To the end or I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe thy law and keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in the path of thy commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart in thy, to thy testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Turn my eyes away from looking at vanity. There's, there's Solomon right there. He didn't turn his eyes away from the things of this world that were in vain. And revive me in thy ways. Establish thy word to thy servant as that which produces reverence for thee. And then drop down to verse 44. What does he say in verse 44? I will keep thy law continually forever and ever. I will walk at liberty for I seek Thy precepts. 
I will also speak of thy testimonies before kings and not be ashamed. What is he saying? Here we see the psalmist. Where, how is he riding up here in the heavenlies in his life, in his mind? He is immersing himself in the word of God. He understands that the, the closest he, uh, thing he can, uh, he can do in his life that would bring him uh, closer to the Lord is to meditate upon his word. Get it into his heart. And what does he do? It's constantly there. The word of God is in his mind, his heart. And that's why it is so crucial that you and I, dear Christians, after we come to church on Sunday, we don't go home, close the book, put it on the shelf or on the table. I'll see you next Sunday. And then what do I do? I do everything else under the sun. I'm just swept away by my own desires, my own passions, sinful passions. And I'm swept away by what entices me out there. And Satan is waiting for it. He's waiting for me right outside that door. He's waiting for you right outside that door as soon as you leave here. And he's hoping that you and I will close this book. And this book will not be a part of my daily life. But it will only be a Sunday thing. But if we, like the psalmist, would realize that here are the heavenly treasures that Jesus is talking about. How do I get to know Jesus better? It's reading about him through his word here. And knowing God more intimately through his word. Nothing else but this. And then getting the word in my mind, my heart, so that... I'm walking with those truths in my Bible. You might not be able to remember the, chap- the, the book, the chapter, the verse. You know, some of us have trouble with numbers and memory, you know, of, uh, okay, we're going to memorize verses. And uh, where was that again? It was a, yeah, Psalm. And we can't come up with it. But that's not the important thing. The important thing is when you read and I read the word of God and meditate upon it, that I get the truth of what I am reading into my mind. So that that's it. So that I go take that and meditate, go over and over and over in my mind with the truth. So that when I am walking through my daily routine, uh, suddenly I can, I can, I'm communing with the Lord. I'm speaking to the Lord and I'm, I'm praying to him. Even as I walk or I do things, I'm constantly in communion with him and he, he's hearing me. But then God, the Holy Spirit brings to mind the truth that I've been reading. And it, it, you will find it amazing how that will strengthen and guide you in your walk and keep you uh, strong in the midst of the darkness and the valley so that you won't get, get dismayed. Turn with, back with me real quick in closing here to Colossians chapter 3 again. Verse 
He then concludes verse 3 and 4. We're, we're just finishing up verses 3 and 4. Again, he says, all right, this is what you need to do. Keep seeking things above. Set your mind on the things above. For you, verse 3, have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Do you notice that key word in verse 3? First of all, he reminds him again, for you have died with Christ. All right. The first verse, what did he say? You have been raised with Christ. Well, now he goes back to you have died with Christ spiritually. The old person, the old sinful nature of you has been crucified with Christ. And so because of that, because I am a child of the king, I've been born again, robed in his righteousness, and I become a child of God, what has happened to me? He's reminding the believer here who's these Colossian Christians who are being persecuted. They're, They're trying to battle the false teaching. He says, don't listen to anything anyone else says, but remember this. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life, my life is hidden with Christ in God. This word hidden here in the Greek, it implies the idea of concealment and safety, okay? So understand there's this word, the word hidden. So in other words, I am concealed in Christ, which means I am in the, I'm positionally concealed in Christ that nothing can change that, and I am safe in Christ. Being hidden with Christ means I am in the palm of his hand. And what did Jesus say? No one can what? Pluck you out of my hand or my father's hand. Is there a greater word of encouragement and security that I am in Jesus' hand? And I'm in the father's hand and he's holding me like this. And therefore I am hidden in Christ. And so what Satan may throw at me, what the world may throw at me, I can have victory in my life. Because I know I am secure in Christ. I have been hidden with Christ in God. And therefore, I know that, uh, that I know who I am. But it's all according to, do I believe God's word? What he says about me. He's saying I'm hidden in Christ. Do I believe it? Or do I say, ah. Oh. And then, then we, we don't take God at his word. And then we get in all kinds of trouble. We begin to get our minds filled with doubt. But here, the Apostle Paul is saying, you've been hidden with Christ. But there's something wonderful. We've been hidden in Christ from the world. When the world looks at you, they look at you and me as believers. What do they see? They see a human being. They just see flesh and blood. You look like them. You are, have not It has not been revealed yet what you will be or what you are in Christ. That day is going to come one day. But of course, they look at you and me. They can see Jesus in me and you. 
when we allow the Spirit to control us and we are producing the fruits of the Spirit, of course, we, we can be seen. But basically, who we are in Christ is really hidden from the world. But notice Paul then says, though you're hidden in Christ and you're, we're in this, this earthly body that's groaning and wants to be released, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, when Jesus comes back for us, then you also will what? Be revealed with him in glory. You and I will be revealed with him in glory. That word revealed or appear actually means to make visible. One day, others, other saints will see you suddenly in your glorified, resurrected body. You will see yourself that way. And you will be standing in his presence forevermore. There are, um, there are many ways to, to go through, fight the battles in this life. And you are in a battle right now, spiritual battle. And I have to ask myself, so Lord, how do I continue on fighting the spiritual battle that is against me? That, and it's a war of my mind. Satan wants my mind, wants me to think the wrong thoughts, not things above, but things of earth. Well, I was encouraged by history, by an event in history, um, and it was back in the 1600s. The, um, there was the battle in the mid-1600s between the King of, King of England, Charles I, and the Parliament, which was the, the people's uh, leadership, and you know they were like the Senate of that day. And so they were at odds. The king was going to do things his way. The parliament saw that he was hurting and not doing anything to help the people, but he was actually bringing in a false religion into England. And so one of the generals who raised up an army for the parliament uh, members and the people of the country against the king's army was a man named Oliver Cromwell. And he chose certain men out of the common men. But he chose, it's called, he called it the new model army. And you know what he chose? He chose men who loved God, who were believers, who were sold out to Christ. And he built his army, so to speak, of Christian soldiers. And this is uh, the time uh, in history when the Puritans were, were growing and getting stronger. And the, suddenly the, 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 uh, the wonderful doctrines of the word of God were being presented instead of what the Catholic Church was teaching. And so Oliver Cromwell had a Bible put together. And it was called the Soldier's Pocket Bible. And it was first issued in 1643. And he took that Bible and he put it in the hands of every soldier that was going to go out to battle. He provided this small pocket Bible. Now, it wasn't the whole complete Bible. It, it only actually had about 16 pages. It was a small book, 16 pages. 
but it was a condensed pamphlet of, of some main scriptures that he put in there to encourage the soldiers that they could take the word of God into battle with them. The verses were intended by Cromwell to inspire uh, the soldiers morally and spiritually as they went into battle. One of the verses that he put in that little Bible was, For the Lord your God goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies and to save you. There were 150 war-related verses in 16 sections. And on top of every section, he wrote something like this before you would read the verses. So picture yourself as a soldier in his army. A soldier must not die wickedly. In other words, with sin in their heart or in a sinful way. A soldier must be valiant for God's cause. A soldier must love his enemies as they are his enemies. But hate them as they are God's enemies. A soldier must consider that sometimes God's people have the worst in battle as well as God's enemies. He gave this pocket Bible with many of the book of Psalms in there, some of the verses from the Psalms. He gave it to his military and he trained his soldiers and went in, they went into battle. And before Cromwell's soldiers went into battle, this is what they would do. They would pray and sing songs from the Psalms. And according to Cromwell and his soldiers, they never lost a battle after the soldier's pocket Bible was given to the soldiers and carried. What does that tell me? It tells me I've got to go into battle with this, the word of God. And you and I are guaranteed a victory, dear friends. If I continue to keep my mind on things above, not on things of earth. Let's pray together. As we close this morning, dear Christian, as you look into your own heart this morning, perhaps the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And you realize that You really have not been setting your mind upon things above, but just earthly things. And you find yourself a lot like Solomon. And there's an emptiness, there's unhappiness, and something's missing. Would you make it a choice this morning to say, Lord, I choose now to begin to set my mind upon your word, upon you, upon heavenly things, upon things that are lovely and beautiful and good. And Father, help me to put your word in my heart and my mind that I might not sin against thee. Father, help me to put my priorities straight and keep my eyes fixed on your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you do that, Christian, this morning? Make that decision. If you're here without Christ, you've never accepted him by faith. You don't know what it means to be sure you're going to heaven. I invite you to accept him by faith right now where you sit. Just open your heart. You can pray a prayer like this with me. Just pray quietly in your heart. The prayer itself doesn't save you. It's not magical words. But this is a a way of telling 
the Lord, that you are accepting his son, that you're asking Jesus now to be your savior, and you want him to forgive your sins and to make you his very own child. If you're ready to do that, then pray with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now and wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with head still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ this morning, dear friend, you have been born again spiritually right now. You've been transformed. You have been forgiven of all your sins. You've been robed with the righteousness of Christ. And God looks on you as if you have never sinned. You are now his child. And he, the Holy Spirit lives within you. You begin to live a new life. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for any decisions that have been made this day. Thank you for speaking to us through your living word again. And Father, help us, Lord, to keep our minds set upon the things above, not on things of this earth. And we know that you will be glorified because of it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.